This is Blue Wire. All right, welcome in to another crossover episode. I don't know, this is maybe our fifth or sixth crossover between uh, myself with Jake Burns here with Browns Film Breakdown and Jordan Zerm with The Rebuild. Jordan, how you doing, buddy? Jake, I am good. Uh, it is the weekend, which is always wonderful, but the uh, the only negative thing is now we don't have any Browns football for like a month and a half, and um, it's going to be a long stretch. I'm already feeling, uh, I'm already going through some withdrawal. I'm with you, man. It's like the spring football in college. You know, you get you get that fun taste of what's to come, and then poof, it's gone until they start waltzing back in in late July. It was fun, though. The glimpse we got was fun. We'll talk about that glimpse, as Jordan and I were both up in Berea for uh, parts of minicamp. But I, I'd be remiss if I didn't first ask you how your phone is still functioning post uh, picture or sorry, post video of Odell's daughter or sorry, that would be Jarvis's daughter with the fawn. Yeah. How are you handling becoming so <laughs> famous, Jordan? Enlighten us. Um, well, Jake, I've had to hire a security team. Um, I, they go with me yeah, everywhere I go now. I have some guys. Um, no, it it got to a point where like I didn't. I know you can like just turn off all notifications, but I didn't want to do that because like I feel like I still. Um, I feel like I would miss just like regular notifications of like people interacting to other stuff that I would want to respond to. So I didn't turn them off. I've just sort of, um, I just will like click and uh, quickly just click the notifications to get rid of the, all of the, the number of notifications that are there. So I can just like refresh them and get them out of there. So I, I'm not even like paying attention to it anymore. And the craziest thing now, because of that, because it was just too much for me to even keep up with anymore was, um, I think my, um, my guy Luke on Twitter tweeted me and it was a screenshot of Mark Hamill who played Luke Skywalker, who had quote tweeted the video. And I hadn't seen it because I just was like, it was just impossible for me to see like everything and all the people that were retweeting it or whatever. So that was sort of, I had to take a moment with that one to be like, that is, uh, that is is something else so uh, my phone is is still intact um but it's crazy it's like day i don't know i tweeted that monday or tuesday i don't know it's been like five days and i still the majority of my notifications are still with that video so it is um it is unlike anything i have experienced with a with a single tweet well it's pretty cool this is a really neat uh a really neat thing there i didn't yeah, I, I, mean, I saw it i saw it early in your process of of becoming uh, essentially one of the most famous men on this planet, and I was like, "That's really cool. I think that's going to do some numbers because that's really cute." Like when she says hi, I'm like, "Yeah, that's, that's what's melting your heart." But yeah, days later, when you've basically become a form of, I don't know, like Justin Timberlake mixed with mm-hmm. like DiCaprio, probably. I don't know. It's probably yeah. Not, no, I've, I've long been justice. described as a combination of those two people, so I think that's pretty accurate. Yeah, that's fair. Very fair. Well, um, but I do. Glad, but, go ahead. But shout out to shout out to Jarvis Landry's daughter. I literally just downloaded a video and put it together, and uh, so I really didn't do anything. So shout out to Jarvis Landry's daughter uh, and Jarvis for taking that video and having the most adorable daughter and capturing really like just capturing one of the most amazing interactions between like a human and an animal that I've really ever seen. So really, um, I just was happy to share it, but shout out to Jarvis and shout out to his daughter, Joy, I believe is her name who, um, yeah, is maybe one of the cutest, 
I mean, Porter obviously is very high on that list. Um, Joy is probably right underneath Porter in baby rankings. Um, But uh, yeah, very, uh, very adorable. It was, it absolutely was. And uh, yeah, I mean, Porter's up there. He's, he's doing okay. (laughs) He's doing okay. But I I also find it, yeah, he's making room. He was so mad at me Thursday. I said, I posted that picture. If I was going to go back up there again, he would have probably disowned me. Um, We—it's just kind of funny to me to think about. Like, I don't know. Does Jarvis live in like Westlake or Strongsville? Does he live in? Where does he live? Strongsville. I'm not sure where he lives, but but I remember um, they in one of the early episodes of Hard Knocks, they go yeah. out to his house to interview like him and his wife and and his daughters there. And yeah, it looks like it's like in Avon or just one of those places where you can get a house um, that you know your neighbors are not very close and you have a ton of land because you're not. I mean. To be fair, a lot of places, a lot of communities, like there's deer all, in Cleveland Heights where I am. You'll see deer all the time. Like they yeah. they are obviously in a lot of places. But um, I think Jarvis's house is pretty isolated in terms of, of um, where it is and how far it is from any sort of major highways or streets. So, um, yeah, I, I'm not sure exactly the community, but I would imagine, yeah, it's somewhere like Westlake or Avon, Avon Lake, that type of area. It's just funny to me. Like I saw a video of Odell playing with Joy or doing something there, doing something on the swing set. And I'm like... It's just kind of funny to think of Odell Beckham just like in Strongsville playing <laughs> in, with 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 Jarvis Landry's daughter. It's just you kind know of, what? It's weird to think of that whole dynamic. It is. You know yeah. what it reminds me of? It really reminds me of. And now Odell's star power is is even is so far beyond this. But it really reminds me of when J.R. Smith got to the Cavs because J.R. Our, JR was a pretty, you know, obviously he didn't have the talent basketball wise that Odell has football wise, but he was a pretty well known guy. He had been in New York for a really long time, had gotten into some trouble, um, had developed a reputation that I don't know. I I guess similar to, to Odell, where, you know, I don't really feel like any of it is really justified. Sort of one thing happens and then it sort of gets extrapolated into who they are as a person for their whole career, which I always think is really silly. But, you know, JR gets here and he gets a house and like, I forget, he probably ended up somewhere like in Strongsville or Westlake or out by Cracker Park. And like, he's just like, he's going to dinners of the family that lives next door to him because they invited him over. And he's like having this meal with like, you know, this (laughs) this suburban (laughs) Northeast Ohio family. And like, but he really like, he loved it. And he talked about in multiple interviews, like how much being in Cleveland and how much like him just having this very like normal, low key life was like really was a big deal to him. And he's always talked about how much he loved being embraced here. And I really feel like that's something similar that's going to happen with Odell where like he's going to, get involved in a little bit slower pace of life, a little bit more laid back pace of life here. And um, he's going to really enjoy it. So I see parallels between those two experiences, but yeah, just in terms of like thinking about like Jr. at like a, um, you know, like at like a Chick-fil-A or something in, in a random suburb is really funny to think about. And then you think about Odell. Yeah. Pushing <laughs> Jarvis's daughter somewhere on a swing in like Avon, Ohio. And it's just really, really funny to think about. It is. It's like you think. Just wait. I'm just like picturing driving down the road. Just oh, so that's your that's friendly Odell Beckham. Just chilling at, uh, in his in his orange rolls rice yes, in yes. Strongsville, Ohio. <laughs> it's funny to think about. I hope he enjoys it. I think it seems like he enjoyed. It. Let's start there. So like, we we both were there the day that they interviewed him. So just sort of give me your impressions of him. And it's a circus. And like, if you're not there, you don't totally understand it. You can see like a posted picture, um, but like. People, so we they they shut they shuffled us inside. Some some storms were happening, so that put us inside. And essentially, what it meant was you can stand in this far corner of the end zone, uh, and you can you can you can 
see what you can. Because it's like, what? I, I didn't know. I went in there, George, like 60 yards total. Yeah, it's not a yeah. full 100-yard field. No, so. it's not, which I guess I didn't realize either until I got in there. That was the first time I had um, watched practice from inside. Yeah, yeah. So there the were like, you know, so a lot of people go around and try to shoot as much as they can along that sideline that we're able to walk maybe like a 30-yard span maybe. And, um, you know, some, some people are doing videos, some people are doing analysis. You can see them all, But there were like some reporters who like perched up right next to the podium for – a solid two hours just to be there yes, when Odell just talked. to get that interview. Yeah. Yeah. Just to be like in front and center. And, um, you know, it's just, he's a, he's a megastar. And it's like the first day I went out there on Tuesday, I could see everybody rushing over. They would do team drills on one field. There are three fields outside. If you've never been to Berea and I really urge you to go to training camp one of the next few years, if you can, it's just a really cool experience. Um, there are three full, uh, 100 yard fields and they sort of shuffle between the three of them. Uh, especially in training camp, they use all three. They don't seem to use the long field at the very end that runs east-west uh, at the other end of the field as much during minicamp. But, uh, yeah, so they're running between two fields. And it's like they would do team drills, and then they'd run down and do individual. And it was like this mass of reporters that would run around and follow the wide receiver group for individual drills. And it's like it's just funny. I mean, he's a he's a, he's a star. Like, I, I, I don't know what other way to put it than he, other than LeBron James – I don't know that we'll ever see a bigger sort of circus that, and this is Oda, this is including Baker Mayfield, who is more important than Odell Beckham to the Browns winning. Uh, it's just you know the guy has something to him. What did you you know? Just your takeaways, buddy. Yeah, I mean, I think you <clears throat> excuse me hit on a lot of it. Like <clears throat> it very much feels like when LeBron uh, was in Cleveland and sort of how people watched his every move, and uh, it was the same thing when you know Cavs game I I, I covered when LeBron was here the second time. You know, when when we would go into the locker room after games, <clears throat> there would be people that would just post up by his locker and wait for him instead of going around and talking to the other players that were ready to talk first. So it's just to get a good spot because it would be chaos by his locker. And that was very much what happened um, when he spoke to the media on Wednesday when both of us were there. So, yeah, I mean, I think the first thing that stands out about Odell is that star power and how he has a gravitational pull on the football field, not only with media, Jake, but it feels like also with players like I was watching him um you know, when it was when he was waiting for his turn for reps when they were doing, you know, seven on sevens or when they were running some install, um, you know, and there's just guys that kind of want to be next to him and, and especially receivers like Hollywood Higgins. And, and obviously Jarvis is there with him, too. But guys that are just sort of as in awe of him as we are, because you just don't that is the type of star power that you just don't see all the time. And so I think the first thing that, that stands out outside of his obviously how smooth he is on the football field is just his gravitational pull. And. Yeah, we can you know talk talk about his presser too. I just thought he was so impressive and so um, poised, but also he was having some fun and he was so open. It was one of the better press conferences I've seen from a, especially an NFL player in, in a while. And you didn't know exactly how it was going to go because obviously there are certain reporters that have made a, a big fuss about him missing OTAs. And I am sure that Odell heard and saw that noise um, because he seems pretty in tune to what people say about him. And so I didn't, it could have gone one of two ways. I, he could have come in there kind of standoffish and been like, I know what you guys have been saying about me and I'm not going to, you know, I'm not going to really give you a lot to work with. But he came in there and he answered everybody's questions and um, he was really he was funny. He was, um, I don't know, kind of introspective about, you know, his career and what he's been through. And I don't know, man, it was um, the word I used was captivating. Like he is captivating in person. He has the type of personality that I think um, is similar to what Baker Mayfield does, where guys talk about 
the energy and sort of how you want to be around and play with guys like that. And I, I, I think you saw that um, on display in that presser. Yeah, very well, very well put. I, I think too something that struck me when I was was watching, and I came away with a lot of the same impressions you did, as far as just being impressed with his candor and the way he was able to handle questions about things he didn't necessarily, you know, want to address, but he had to address that sort of thing. So I just, I don't know, George. I just felt sorry for him. Like I, I know there's the whole uninterrupted clip where he talks about being like in a zoo, feeling like a zoo animal where everyone's just watching him and judging him and all of that stuff. I I'm sure you remember that too, but like, um, I just kind of got that vibe again, where he's talking about, I could be in the corner minding my business, doing nothing and then have things written about me and, uh, you know, about why I'm not out with everybody else and doing blah, blah, blah. And it was the same thing with, you know, he's like, I don't know what the clip will be from today, but I'm sure something, somebody will run with and blah, blah. It just, it was very open. And I just, I left, maybe he didn't want to give the impression of like, woe is me, but I felt that. Like I felt, I felt sorry for him that he, he can't just be himself and be comfortable. And I think he's probably had a lot of maturity issues because of that. Like trying to come to who he is as a man while everyone's watching and everyone's judging. Like, um, it's challenging. It's challenging in, in professional sports. I think it's challenging for him, um, as a person, I would imagine, obviously. And I just hope that Cleveland's better to him than New York was with this. He will go other places. He will do other things. He will be out and about. He's a, you know, he's out obviously sitting courtside at, at game was it game four last night. So game four yeah. or game, uh, yeah, game four, rocking the uh, Jim Brown long sleeve. Is that on sale? Like that? It had a Nike check on it. That was a nice little, uh, a nice little homage to uh, to the Browns' past. But yeah, he's, um, you know, he's. He is a celebrity in every sort of sense of the word. And I think to your point, um, Jake, about how hard it is for somebody who's in a in a bubble like that to sort of have any sort of normal life from a really young age. I think that's why it always reminds me of why what LeBron has been able to do sort of from a personal standpoint and just someone who is incredibly mature for um, someone that was a celebrity from a really young age is the, is an anomaly is a rare case because it just, it is so hard to grow up, especially in this sort of um, the digital age uh, where your celebrity sort of, and your reputation becomes a life of its own. And it's impossible to grow up as a normal person and develop as a normal person when, yeah, like Odell said, like he can't, he literally can't say anything publicly that isn't going to get aggregated and turned into a news story because that's just how um, how kind of content is, and um, it, that's why I always that's why I always, from my perspective, I try to give guys leeway if what they're doing is not like they're not committing a crime and they're not. And he, you know, he touched on that. He said, "I've never been arrested. I've never I've never even gotten a speeding ticket." Like I try to think about how difficult it would be for me if I had a camera on me all the time, or if everything I said was being recorded and being written about and all that, because it's it's a it's a life I can't ever understand. Um, and I do think that he was very open about how difficult that is. But and Jake, tell me if you agree with this. I I do feel like, and maybe this is a sort of symbol of how he's matured too, is he's just kind of like, it is what it is. You know, like I understand how the game works now. I understand how this goes and I'm just going to try and play football and win a championship. And because, you know, whereas maybe when he was younger in New York, that stuff affected him a lot more. Yeah, I'm sure. I think that the, the, the good thing, like you said right there, is that he's accepted that this is just the way it's going to be and it's never going to be any different. 
And it's probably only going to get worse as this whole circus with, and, and this isn't a circus, I shouldn't say circus, a lot of people do really well with this stuff, but like blogs and um, trying to get people to click on stuff because it's, it's tough in the journalism world to make money for companies, so they need to write things that people will read, whether it's hate read or love read, there's yep. a balance there. So, um, you know, for him and his situation, I, I, I do like that, like you said, he's gotten to the point where it is what it is, I just know I have to deal with it. Uh, I just hope it never changes the man he is or wants to be and um, doesn't change who he is on the football field because that's where he's re- – I mean, he's special off the field. Like, I, I'm sure he seems like a, he seems like a great – you you know, you meet people and you're like, that dude just kind of seems like a, a – for lack yeah, of a better you, word, an you asshole. You can tell. Yeah, yeah for sure. He, he seems like the dude that is, is, is somebody that his players love to play with. And I think that's the big thing that, like, people in New York – the takeaway for me is, like, listening to – Landon Collins and, um, you know, Sterling, Sterling Shepard or, or whoever, um, talk about him. It's, it's nothing but great things to say. He rubs me as a guy who players love to be, I, I, I deemed him in that piece the other day on the OBR, the 25 insights as a thermostat leader. I, I, mm-hmm. I probably should have made that more clear. They're like thermometer leaders. This is just an old analogy I've heard growing up. Thermometer leaders where if the temperature in the room is high, meaning everybody's volume is high, everybody's energized. That person will be in it. That person will be a leader because it's very easy to be a leader in that scenario. Then there are thermostat leaders who change the temperature, like your home. A thermostat changes the temperature of your home. That person is a thermostat leader, changes the temperature of those around them, brings them up to that level. Like I get that vibe from him, that infectious personality sort of thing, and uh, just like a positive dude to be around all the time. So I get the draw. I get all of it, and um, for, you know, for spending what we spent 15, 10, 15 minutes with him, it was just neat to sort of get a very small glimpse into uh, into who that guy is, what he sounds like, what he comes across as, and um, I'm glad I was there. I thought about leaving earlier before because I thought it might get crazy, but I'm glad uh, I'm glad I stuck around and glad uh, you know I got to see it. Yeah, I'm the same. It was um, it was cool to not only see that was the first time I've seen him in person um, on the field. And that was an experience within itself. But, yeah, you know, I always I think part of the reason why I got into, you know, sports writing and sports media is because there's um, a lot of people have a lot of cool stories and people have. Uh, I like trying to get to know people and getting to to know the guys behind the uh, the tinted visor as uh, as Odell was wearing. And so it was a it was a really cool thing to hear him um kind of be like that. And I do think people should um, don't take for granted the type of personalities the Browns have on this team, whether it's Odell or I think I think that one of the reasons why and Odell touched on how close he is with Baker Mayfield and how close he was with Baker before he even got here is because like Baker is very similar in that he's just he's not going to try and give off this persona to the media that isn't him. And I as somebody in the media, uh, enjoy that because it's so much better for us when we're trying to tell stories and we're trying to bring an audience a better understanding of who these guys are that they cheer for every Sunday. But like, just, I think it's something that goes underappreciated that there are multiple guys on this Browns team. Jarvis Landry is the same way that aren't going to sugarcoat stuff and are going to just be open and honest about things. And I don't know when it became, a sort of negative um, for, you know, athletes to uh, just be real human people. <laughs> and I've always sort of pushed back um, on criticisms that happen with that. But like, oh, is he going too far saying this and that? It's like, I don't, you know, everybody gave Baker flack for for what he said about Duke Johnson um, and how, you know, if you're not on, you're either on this train or you're not. But like, I don't, 
I don't know why it was surprising. Like that's who that's Baker and he's going to come out and he's going to say things um, that he thinks are right. And I would so much rather have guys on a team um, that are doing that than the guys that are just going to be these vanilla sort of cookie cutter stereotypical athletes that say nothing of value. So I don't know. I think we shouldn't take for granted the the type of personalities that are on this team because um, you just don't you're not getting that from from everywhere. And I think it's actually more of a positive um, that we have players that are willing to be open with each other and, and talk things out, because I think that's how you sort of build that chemistry and build that line of communication that they're going to need when they inevitably um, you know, controversy or, um, you know, a little bit of uh, going through some tough times that are that I'm sure will come in, in some games this season. Absolutely. And I, I you know, Miles Garrett is much the same, too. It, yeah, it, absolutely. It, it's a it's a fun group. And I think, like you said, they have their top personalities are all genuine personalities. They are not. And maybe you want some of those and it's not a knock on Nick Chubb, but just like those quiet type of guys who just go about their business and do work. But that's not. That's not what you have here, but I think it's in a good way. I think it's people get really worried about well, it's just gonna it's gonna blow up. All these personalities are gonna, and I don't I don't think so. I think you have enough guys that have been around the block, like Baker's results focus driven type of player. Yeah, he'll give you some sound clips. The self inflicted thing came across wrong. I don't think he meant it that way. Um, I think that there's gonna be sound clips from Mayfield all the time, but it's not like his stuff is meant to 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 divide or give issues, and I think that Odell and Jarvis are past that stuff in their career. They just want to win. They're going to do everything they can to win, and and Miles is just the ultimate headstrong, put your shoulders down and just sort of drive through and go to work, and that's that's fun to see too. And then Demarius Randall is another really fun personality who should yes. probably get some more run, and I really do hope we talk to him a little bit about extending his contract. I hope the Browns find a way. But nonetheless, let's – uh. Let's shift a little bit. Just sort of your any big takeaways you had from Wednesday or anything you've even seen on Twitter, Tuesday, Thursday uh, type stuff that caught your eye specifically as you sort of look at what the 2019 Browns will look like. Yeah, for sure. Well, I think, you know, some of the stuff we were talking about um, on the sideline on, on Wednesday as we were watching stuff was some of the stuff that stood out to me. I think, first of all, you know, we talked about we've talked a lot about it's um, fascinating and good that the Browns um, appear to be ready on offense to move him all over the place, whether he's playing outside, um, whether he's playing in the slot. And I think he's going to, you know, just from the, some of the stuff we saw, um, a lot of what they were doing with him on Wednesday, from what I observed with Odell, was a lot of just kind of shallow crossers and stuff that I think is really going to, you know, he's so good after the catch. And we saw him. Um, in New York, take a quick slant or a quick, you know, shallow crossing route and take it to the house or take it 50 plus yards because he's that type of athlete. And I think with the talent that the Browns have on offense, whether they're running a mesh route or whatever they're doing to sort of cause chaos over the middle of the field as a DB is trying to stay uh, with Odell, which is <laughs> really hard in its own right. Um, and then you mix in a little bit of traffic. It was cool to see the Browns working on that because I think that's going to be a huge part of how um, Odell is going to flourish in this offense. And I just think it speaks to, you know, we saw Freddie and Todd Munkin just huddled up a lot, talking a lot about, you know, I, I'm assuming what was, hey, is this, you know, do we think this will work? What should we be doing on this play? And just the open line of communication between those two, I think you're already seeing um, early on. But uh, that really stood out to me, the willingness um, and the openness to moving Odell around. And you asked um, Odell a question early on in his presser about, you know, if he's kind of 
comfortable, you know, moving all over the place. And he was really like, yeah, like, I think I can, you know, I can play from wherever. So that, that's going to be really exciting. And I'm, I'm looking forward to seeing how the use of Odell in this offense uh, sort of evolves as they get into training camp. And then uh, on the flip side, the defensive side of the ball, the thing that stood out to me was we can, we'll, I'm sure we'll talk a little bit more about um, Greedy Williams and, and the corners, but I was really, really impressed with not only Denzel Ward, who looks a little bigger, looks like he's added a little bit of muscle and just looks, oh man, he's just so, he's so good. <laughs> and it's watching him one-on-one -on -one versus Odell and some of their matchups was so much fun on Wednesday. And Denzel really, really held his own. Um, I know people are, you know, the one clip that got a lot of run was him sort of almost picking off Baker after he sort of just read Odell's route really well and everybody's like oh he was holding and you know what he probably was but I I don't care it was a it was a it was a great play and I think you know both of them were sort of jostling for position there there was some there was some grabbing on Odell's part as well and I just thought it was a good physical matchup but then you know the the Browns are throwing Greedy right into the fire and they had Greedy matched up with Odell on a, on a handful of possessions and you know, I thought I thought Greedy, he's going to have his struggles. He He's still, you know, you and I were talking about, I mean, he just looks, he's a skinny dude. He is not, uh, he is not going to be a super physical guy, but that's what we said about Zell last year. And now you, you're going to have it, you're going to have injury concerns because they are a little bit on, on the smaller side in terms of build, but I think it allows and, and allowed Denzel to be so fluid. And I think you're seeing Greedy um, as a really fluid player, too. And on Wednesday, he had two picks, and we saw him um, play really well. He got a pick when uh, he was just in the right place after a ball glanced off. I believe it was Richard Higgins' hands on a route. And then, you know, he jumped in front of a pass from Baker and took it to the house, uh, much to the delight of the uh, some of the defensive players that were watching him. So... Those were two things that stuck out, and I think when just on the defensive side of the ball, when you think about the potential of Denzel on one side and and Greedy on the other, if what we saw from him um, just in minicamp of all things, as he kind of continues to evolve as a rookie, it's just really I think the DB unit as a whole. We mentioned Demarius; and they're obviously going to move Demarius around on defense a lot as well. They had him up at the line of scrimmage a lot. They had him sort of, you and I were talking about lurking over the middle, trying to take away some passes. He just, you can do a lot of things with a lot of these DBs. And I think Steve Wilkes has to be kind of thrilled about that. What Jake, for you, um, what kind of, you were obviously there, uh, you were there at OTAs and then you were there for a couple of the mini camps. What sort of stood out to you as sort of a, a combination of everything that you saw? Yeah, I thought it was um, that you know those are all those are all perfectly perfectly stated. Uh, I'll try to, to touch on some other things. I, I, alignment to me, Njoku seems to be on the field all the time. Uh, whether that means eleven, whether that means some form of uh, twelve person, he's on the field a lot, and um, they seem to want to play him as many downs per series as they can. They're doing a bunch of different alignments in terms of uh, tight splits, um, you know, tight bunch sets give a lot of advantages to wide receivers in those situations. They worked uh, a lot of zone too, uh, blocking scheme up front. It's really challenging. I think people ask me a lot about what the offensive line looks like. How's it going with the tackles? What They're in shirts and shorts. It's very challenging to see precisely what's going on up front. And it, First, the angle sucks for that. Secondly, they're, you know, they're only going to be able to move or, you know, get their body into somebody defensively so well when they don't have shells on, they don't have pants on the, you know, on their legs or whatever too. So it, it does make a difference. So it's interesting 
as my dog barks downstairs. It's interesting that uh, they're still uncertain about right guard. They they are shuffling three different people in. Uh, it, you know, people jump down my throat about my take on Corbett and being concerned. I think that everybody, to me, where I came from with that is everybody sort of pigeonholed Corbett in as the logical right guard. Well, at the very minimum, they don't seem comfortable with him being the starter right now, or he would be getting all of those reps. You know, 33% of a three-day practice at starting right guard is not much if you're considered to be the starting right guard because everybody else, all four other positions on that first team between Hubbard, Robinson, Batonio, Treader are getting 100% of the first team snaps. So they're trying to figure out right guard, what that means or who gets that role, whether it's Cush or Kalis or, or, or Corbett is irrelevant to me. People want to get upset about Corbett because he's a second round pick and he was the first guy taken in the second round. And I get that. That's understandable, but it doesn't really mean anything now. I just need them to play who the best player is. And uh, don't worry about reputation. Just put the guy in that can get that done. And, People want to know the time frame of that decision. That probably doesn't get made till, you know, week three of the preseason is sort of the main dress rehearsal for what your team's going to be week one of the season. So I don't expect that job to be sort of solidified until then in, in terms of like really knowing who's going to be that guy 100%. You just hope that they figure that out. So offensively, those are my take. I, 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 know, I noted that Baker wasn't all too sharp. I thought there were some misses. Thought there was some interceptions that he probably would, I would hope, as a quarterback would want back. And those things are going to happen, though. It's not like I'm trying to say this guy, this guy might be in for a sophomore. That's not what I'm getting at. I'm just saying he's off a little bit, whether that's going through a new offense, because people tend to forget that, yes, Freddie was the offensive coordinator, but that was not his offense. They're not going to midstream switch to what he does as an offensive coordinator in terms of semantics. By semantics, I mean play calling and um, you know how those words get put together, all of those things, and designs too. He threw in wrinkles, but like the principal designs for offensive coordinators can be different from guy to guy, so there could be some differences there. And then you are bringing in and meshing in Todd Monken, who has his own offensive system. So um, all in all, what you're looking at is a completely different offense. That doesn't mean it's not going to be that same effectiveness that we saw at the last half of last year, but there's different moving pieces. So in that time, Mayfield could be looking to – test the limits, test greedy, test his arm uh, fitting the football into certain situations and getting comfortable with timing. You know, OTAs, the only real consistent player at OTAs that is with the first group is is uh, Richard Higgins. You know, I think that that was something that um, people overlooked was that outside of the first uh, day, I, th- I think the last half of OTAs after Antonio Callaway was really pumped up by the media and the coaches really, he didn't go to a ton of OTAs, and that kind of got glossed over in this whole process. So he's really working in this new offense with new wide receivers, albeit extremely talented, but there's some timing stuff that goes on there too. There's a whole cohesiveness to the offense. So just because he has a bad mini camp in terms of what he looks like to people in the media who don't really know what the hell is going on in terms of assignment and responsibility doesn't mean anything. I just, you know, we think he's dynamic. We think he's a top-five quarterback. He, we want him to be that guy all the time. So... I wanted to just note a couple of those things. Um, defensively, like you said, Demarius Randall moving around. He's going to be closer to the line. He made note of that. A couple of clips there I posted on Twitter show him being closer to the line. They're going to move. To, they're going to move Miles Garrett inside, outside. A couple snaps where he plays alongside Jannard Avery. He rushes from the inside. Avery off the edge, where Avery's really good. Speaking of which, Avery is a full-time defensive end now. We have not seen him. Okay, let me step back. I haven't. I can't say that with 100% certainty. 
but it appears that way because Jannard is not doing any linebacker drills in terms of individual period, and that's where you typically get some work. So if a guy was sort of a hybrid player, he would split some time there. There are OTAs the media is not at, so he could have worked with linebackers there, but I have not seen that. I have only seen him playing edge in both team drills in terms of where it's 11 on 11 and individual periods where you're getting that specified work at your position. He seems to be an edge. I love the idea of him and Miles uh, on the uh, rushing off the same side, especially Miles when he gets against guards and he can really kill people, um, you know, just with different types of body turn things that he he's such a good athlete. He's a free. He, he's another one of those guys like Njoku where I told you there at, at Camp Jordan that I just don't understand. If we're the same species, I don't understand it because they, they're on a different spectrum than I'm on. Man, they're they're they're. They, walk by you and you're just like I, how is a person built like that it just yeah. it doesn't even make it doesn't make sense and both of them are like 22 23 i'm not sure either of them are 23 yet so it's like it, it, yeah i don't think you can really do it justice until you're standing up like right next to them because they are unbelievably built human beings and um you know but not just like big but like muscular guys and and they move yep. gracefully it's like man that, that that i got skipped in that whole process but anyway um, you know, <laughs> defensively, like you said, Greedy Williams has entrenched himself as the corner opposite Denzel. It was the second week of OTAs. We were, I kind of tweeted out, it looks like he's working a lot at, uh, you know, with the ones opposite of, of, uh, opposite of Denzel. So I tried to keep an eye on that the next few times we were able to watch. Saw that continued. It does seem like in big nickel situations where they have three linebackers plus an extra safety on the field, they'll bump carry outside. So they're doing some of that. Um, they want to, TJ Carey is important. They want him to be their primary nickel slot defender. Uh, and then they're going to obviously play greedy outside. When that happens, Carey will bump around and play everywhere. He's going to be vital. Jermaine Whitehead continues to be with the first team, both in the too high safety shell and closer line of scrimmage. It'll be interesting when Morgan Burnett comes back to see how that shakes out. But I feel like they're really strong in terms of their front four. The first four guys look the part. They look very good. Between Sheldon, Olivier, Larry Ogunjobi, and Miles, uh, with the rotation of of uh, Jannard Avery and so forth, and then um, the cornerbacks, I feel good about Greedy. I think the Browns probably feel like really good about him ahead of schedule in terms of a guy. They're treating him like a top ten pick, or there's something they love. They just love it because they've bumped Terrence Mitchell completely out of there. He's sort of their dime guy and their first rotational outside guy. So. Not that Terrence Mitchell's not going to be counted. I guarantee you he will be counted on at some point this year. But Greedy has sort of uh, supplanted him as the opposite corner of Denzel. But I like the safety group between Eric Murray, who can play some slot, and and like I said, Burnett, and all the above uh, look really good. I, th- I think those pieces move. I, I mentioned this to Doug LaMaurice, who was writing on linebackers. The linebacker group will swing this defense, whether it's a – Yep. Uh, back half of the NFL defense or a top half of the NFL defense because they need things out of Christian Kirksey and Joe Schobert and this defense and things probably will get sol- uh, simplified for them. I think Greg Williams and, and Blake Williams, who were here in the last regime, put a lot of stress on those linebackers, especially Joe and run pass conflict and running deep down the middle of the field so often. Those things should be clearer for them. Let those guys play react football instead of worrying so much about where to be, spot dropping, those sorts of things. So if those two are as good as they hope they can be, because the Browns will play four-two-five, I would bet seventy-five percent of the time you want you want more DBs on speed on the field than you do linebackers because you just can get into really bad matchup situations. And those guys like Murray, Jermaine Whitehead have played close to the line of scrimmage, are of the linebacker mold. Morgan Burnett too, and Marius Randall can do a little bit of everything. So, um, 
I will say I'll end with this, that the, that the defense is very far out in front to me. They played really well and they were dominating things. I saw they were dominating things and um, that's not a bad sign or a good sign to me. It's a, it's a very talented and, and Freddie keeps doing that in his interview. Can we talk about defense? I think they were really yeah. excited about their defense. So um, it's very good that they're out in front. Very good that they're flying around playing well. The offense will get there. There's too much talent. If the offensive line is just average, they'll get there. There's a lot of talent. They'll put up enough points. But if the defense is really good, they got something here. And that's how they'll win a lot of football games. And that's how a lot of teams that are really successful win a lot of football games is, is um, you know, having a good enough offense and having a um, a really good defense helps. And I think the Browns, if you if you look at what they should be, they should have a really good offense and then you mix in what could be a really good defense, and you could have something special. So that's fascinating. Last thing is the kickers. Um, yeah, know, we got we got a we got an up close look at a, a little bit of a, a battle on Wednesday. And then, boy, that is just fascinating. I swear, inside makes such a difference because, like, Greg Joseph yes. stepped up first. He went four for four. His last two kicks were from fifty-two and fifty-seven. I could swear the one from fifty-seven could have been good from sixty-five. Like, I don't know. Maybe yeah, he was carries well in there. Everybody talks about um, Cybert's leg, but um, Joseph was was booming him. He was. Cybert's whole thing is the ball sounds different off of his foot. That was the scout thing. Like, yes, okay. unfortunately, it didn't. Uh, three ball of sounds them different off my golf club too. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah, right? yeah, yeah. Ball sounds different when I slice. I don't know. Anyway, um, <laughs> yeah, he, I, it's too early. This stuff will be won and lost in the yeah. preseason. But every kick matters. Every kick matters, and when you're only getting four live kicks of practice in terms of the pressure of being on the field with the, with the kickoff or the, the, the field goal team and the, someone rushing you, those live drills matter. Everybody's eyes are on it. And Cybert made his first kick from like 35 and then missed his last three. And Greg Joseph made all four. So, um, you know, it, it doesn't mean anything, but it kind of does. So you got to make your kicks. And uh, I left impressed with how Greg handled those kicks and the leg he had behind them and the trajectory of them. I think sometimes last year his trajectory was a little wonky. Um, I thought that they were really high arcing kicks, which is what you want to see. So we will see. I would imagine Cybert has every chance to win that job unless he just absolutely craps down his leg, which could happen. These guys get drafted and, uh, you know, they just, the Roberto Aguayo story that came out recently, it was pretty heartbreaking. So, uh, you know, hope it works out, but I guess they didn't mind throwing away a fifth round pick for that. That's not my place to judge, but whatever. (laughs) Um, Maybe I think there should be a rule in the NFL. Just don't draft a kicker. Like, just don't do it. <laughs> I think you a, a seventh so, is cool, I guess, right? Those are kind of Yeah, I guess the seventh, fine. But, like, yeah. stop drafting kickers high. Just, it's just, it, there's so many things. If anything goes wrong, you know, like anything, he misses a couple kicks, it's automatically, it feels like a waste of a pick. So, I don't know. Maybe that should be a memo sent out to all NFL teams. I wish it was sent out to the Berea group, but that's fine. Whatever. I'm, I'm hoping it. I'm hoping it works out for him. But yeah, that's good, man. Those are really good takeaways. As usual, Jordan and I will will always answer anything we see. We post a lot of videos. We do a lot of different things. I'm walking a fine line trying to post not too in depth, but you know, I'm trying to give you guys what's going on. I'm giving away um, state secrets, Jake. Yeah, I'm, I'm sorry. I'm trying. I just want to. I want to. I'm for the people. I'm trying. But um, yeah, we're gonna keep doing it. Well, it's 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 a couple. Uh, dry months here. This is the football oasis that leads into uh, trying yes. to get anything to plug, Jordan. Anything you got coming up, man? 
Oh man. Well, I do. Uh, so I got to speak. Um, I got to have a little one-on-one -on -one with Rashard Higgins before Wednesday's practice, which uh, appreciate the the Browns giving me that access. And uh, Rashard was great, and he has a really great story um, about just how far he's come since. <laughs> it it is crazy to think that he is not only the the remaining the last remaining wide receiver from that, that initial 2016 class of Corey Coleman and Jordan Payton and Ricardo Lewis. Um, Mind blowing. Uh, Mind-blowing that aside, but, you know, he got cut and then he got reassigned to the practice squad. Um, and I got to talk to him and sort of he reflected on that and sort of what he went through and some stuff that I haven't um, seen him talk about uh, before. He, he's obviously touched on what it was like being cut, but he, he went a little more in depth about um, that period in his life and how he made it back and, and where he is now. So a good conversation. I am um, hopefully going to still trying to figure out exactly when that might run and, and what publication it's going to run for, but I, I'm in conversation with that. So hopefully that is a story that uh, I will have shortly. And uh, kind of outside of that, um, you know, I'm always I'm doing more NBA stuff for, for UpRocks as, uh, as the draft approaches. I'm going to talk to Cam Reddish, who is from... Uh, from Duke, sort of the the forgotten man on Duke's uh, freshman class underneath. On the Cavs radar at five, right? Yes, he's on the Cavs radar at five. There's a lot of split opinions about him um, and what kind of player he he can be. Had a bit of a disappointing year at Duke, so um, that's uh, I, I'm looking forward to chatting with him and just kind of talking about where his mindset is at. As he's gotten a lot of criticism from his time at Duke and, and where he's going to get drafted. So I'll have that coming up next week. I think I talked to him early next week. So, uh, I, but as always, I try to, as you do, Jake, I try to post my, my work on Twitter as well. And, um, also shout out to you for putting together an exhaustively detailed, wonderful piece, um, for, for the OBR on, on your 25 observations that, uh, was making the rounds, man. You had some really kind of cool and prominent people get you, uh, you know, quote, tweet your work and, and, uh, and shout you out. So, um, awesome some stuff from you and, and it's cool to see you getting the the recognition from people in, in, in higher places that uh, i think your work deserves so that was really cool too kind man that's uh that's really nice of you to say i appreciate that yeah it was i, I wrote it from like one to three in the morning when i had time you know when you have a little guy and wife you get you get very few small windows and i got the stink eye when i came to bed at 3 a.m you know <laughs> what the hell are you doing man um but you know yeah i appreciate it i appreciate that i look forward to reading your higgins Higgins interview because I think that you do phenomenal work too. And um, yeah, Browns are lucky that we're there. I'm going to stick by that. Given good insight, we're going to, we're going to pump up what I think is a good team and, and we're going to give you fair insight and fair observation and we'll continue to do so uh, both through Browns film breakdown and the rebuild. Jordan does a really good job of pulling. Uh, I, I typically pull like the meathead guests. I think you do a really good job of getting <laughs> different perspectives on that. I, I say that kind of cavalier, but I'm serious. I think you yeah. do a great job yeah. with perspective. So um, I would you. imagine if you're listening to this podcast, you listen to both of us. And um, if you're not, if you're only listening to me, make sure you do listen to The Rebuild. If you're only listening to The Rebuild, that's rude. You should listen to mine too. What the hell? <laughs> um, but yeah, man, this is good. This is great. I, I Guys, if you could, any feedback is always welcome, whether it's through Twitter, whether it's through the comments section on iTunes, whether it's a review, it's a subscription to what we have on there. All of those things help. All of those things help Blue Wire, our podcast uh, host. They do a great job at Blue Wire. So, um, ton of different NFL teams. If you want to know what's going on with, uh, you know, the 49ers, the the Raiders, anybody, it's going to keep spreading. There's going to be more and more. The Packers. There, there's a bunch of different teams that they're working to. Blue Wire is going to keep growing. Uh, I encourage you to just subscribe to Blue Wire's stuff on 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 podcast networks, whether that's through iTunes or Stitcher, SoundCloud, whatever. 
you're going to get really good NFL content from people who know the game really well. And I think that that is, uh, that's what's most entertaining. So uh, thanks for giving us some time today. Thanks for uh, sticking with us there through minicamp. We'll be back at training camp. I'm sure Jordan and I will get back for another crossover there uh, as we, as we get ready for, for the Brown season. But Jordan, you're the man. Thanks for jumping on, buddy. Jake, of course, um, let's uh, we'll get through this dead period together. We will uh, we'll make it so it's not as brutal as it, as I now look like a month and a half is just it's too much time, man. I need uh, I need more Browns content in my life twenty four seven. So we'll I'll get through this together. We need is we, brother nature. You talked about that earlier. That retweeted. <laughs> I'm a big brother nature fan uh, on Twitter, and uh, we need jarvis's daughter to just be daughter nature and they yeah. just do like duets and that's how we get through the next month and a half. yeah we need like a cro- like a crossover video fly brother nature out to ohio get him uh with uh with sister nature daughter nature or whatever you want to call her and uh yeah have them go on adventures together i think that's a that's a great idea let's uh we'll pitch that to uh to brother nature and see uh see how he feels about it yep it's done consider it booked all right man <laughs> i appreciate you buddy enjoy your day all right man you too all right thanks guys we'll be back uh probably both of us will be back next week until then go browns